that was a song from the Fantastic Four soundtrack, but I have not decided which song to play, and I'm frankly surprised that the music is even available already, but it is, and barely anyone is listening to it. You have to cut that a little bit because it's not going to make sense chronologically. The song that you just listened to has not, at the moment of recording, been decided upon. (laughs) But I have decided what it will be by the time that this podcast is released. So this week we watched Interstellar. As promised, once again. Has it even been a week? Has it been a week since our last? I think it has. I don't know. We said we were going to release these on Wednesdays, like like record every this day and then edit in these days and then release them Wednesday. And that hasn't really been what's happened. A lot of stuff got in the way. Yeah, like Not the, the least of which dying. was the hard drive yeah. self-destructing. <laughs> Computer just died suddenly. It was not a happy day. So what was a happy day was today because we got to watch a pretty good movie. A good movie, yes. Christopher Nolan's The Interstellar. There are no qualifications for us recommending this movie. Unlike Sahara, for example, which is a good movie, but not in every way. This one's just pretty good. It's overrated on IMDb. What's its rating on IMDb? 8.7. Okay. What's its rank on the top 250? Something like as high or higher than Fight Club, I think. That's pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the top 50? I think it's like top 30. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. Is it ahead of 2001? Yes. Hmm. I feel like they you should, should be check. similar ranking but i feel like 2001 should be a little bit higher well that's the thing about this movie is it's such an homage to 2001 but it's a space movie right but certain shots and things oh yeah definitely looked like 2001 i remember sitting in the theater because it came out while i was in boston and i went and saw it in imax and i saw it in imax too oh hey. yeah <laughs> look at you <laughs> i remember seeing it and the miniatures and the models and everything i remember seeing that and thinking oh Kubrick uh, may have influenced this a little bit. Maybe a little bit. I can see that. But you could also say that it's the general limitations of a space-themed movie. movie, And there are so few of them that they seem similar. They look alike. Yeah. Right. Not like space movies. I want there to be more of them. Especially ones that are as scientifically accurate as this Well, see, I'm getting interested in space now as well. Oh, yeah. Space Uh, is cool. I went to a planetarium. Okay. It was really cool. Brown is an observatory. I've been there. Brown's all fancy, though. Oh, yeah. We have a big telescope. Took some photos through it. Pre-washed vegetables. If I can find... Oh, I might have lost that photo. Mm, that's too bad. <laughs> oh, on your hard drive? On the hard drive. <laughs> I, I took a photo really of the Saturn Nebula through that. Wow. It was cool. cool. You had to take like four photos. You took a red, a green, and a blue, and then a brightness one. Yeah. And you overlaid all of them. It's like HDR. Yeah, sort of. It's cool. It's like how projectors work. You, oh, you know, yeah, Projectors yeah. are cool. Surprisingly I remember complex. running into this when we tried to use that projector in Skylar's basement. And oh like yeah! One of the colors stopped working, and it was all the disc probably stopped spinning. Now that I realize how this works, <laughs> I didn't know then how it works, but yeah. now I understand. And I think the disc stopped spinning. I remember being disappointed because you couldn't figure it out, and to date, you hadn't run into a technological problem that I could probably figure you, you it out. Didn't now. really fix. You know? Now that I understand, I should have looked them up, but I didn't. I would have thought well, it was Google cool. was hardly used back then. 2011. I've used Google you, all my you life. Serious? You serious? <laughs> Google was like. I'm going to find an archive.org <laughs> version of Google, which they have. They That's probably the most archived site on that website. It's just the right. homepage of Google. You can go back to the origins of Google and see what it looked like. Really? And I will show people what Google looked like in 2011, and it'll be very similar <laughs> to how it looks different. like right now. Yeah. What? Oh, you should also put what it looked like 
originally. Oh, that, yeah. That interests me. It looks very interesting. I think it was called something else, too. I don't know if they have it all the way back then, but... Uh, it was just called Search.com. Oh, is Search.com taken? Uh, I can check right now. I would say almost assuredly. In fact, <laughs> but is Search.org taken? <laughs> search.com. Meta Search Search Engine, which searches all of the search engines at once. Wow. Owned by CBS. That's pretty cool. CBS Interactive. Search.org. It's like a lawyer search engine. Anyway. I'm going to post a link to the projector, the DLP projector Wikipedia page with a little animation of how it works. It's really cool. You know, I find myself looking at these links mm-hmm. more than probably anyone else who listens to the podcast. I will go through Except me. second most. <laughs> yeah. Because I go through and look at all of them because I'm so interested in the conversations that we have that afterward I want to like read up. Did you see the video I put up for episode two? What was it? The video of the intro to Sahara? No, 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 I didn't see that. Oh, one. man, you should have. I put a lot of work into that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah Good yeah. job. I, man, I missed I took the movie mistake. and I cut out the <laughs> intro and then sorry. I had to learn how to do certain things in Premiere that I hadn't done before. Oh, you use Premiere? Yeah, because I usually use how Vegas. How is Premiere with Vegas, like contrasted with Vegas? I don't know. Because I've barely used it. I had to figure out how to fade. I normally oh, and expect, that was hard? Yeah, see, you expect fading to be like grabbing from the corner and bring it in. Like Instead, I had to take effects that were the fade in and fade out effect and stick them on top of them. Weird. So I think they've kind of made an effect system that standardizes like everything. Like to stand with After Effects. I guess. That's yeah. interesting. I hear it's very good. Yeah, I, I, I hear it's more advanced than Vegas. Maybe the next video editing project I'll use, I will... See, and I've said that every time, but then each one has been important. And I've thought, (laughs) I don't want to spend an extra 14 hours on the learning curve. See, actually, I taught myself Audition when I'm editing this podcast. Right. How's that? Audition is good. Audition is very good. Well, then I'd imagine. Um, Before I was using the Sony Vegas, just the audio track. (laughs) I I remember doing that for stuff in high school with you. And I was like, why don't we just use Audacity or... It's better in Audacity. I would say Vegas is an easier editor than Audacity, and uh, Audition is. Yeah, I'd agree than with Vegas. that. It, it was just weird because it was a video yeah. editing software. Audition is really cool because you can edit the file while you have it in the track. Mm-hmm. When I'm editing the track line, I will realize that there's a noise in there that I want to remove. So then I'll go back to editing the file, remove the noise from the original file, okay, and then it'll propagate through the whole track. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Okay. It's cool. Anyway, we watched. Nolan's Interstellar. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where was to start. Was it both with. Nolan's? Yeah, did, it was. Yeah, Jonathan yeah. helped write it. Gosh, I say that like he was like the kid brother who like peer reviewed it. Doesn't he co write all I, of these? Yeah, I think he's actually more. He does most in, of the in writing. In charge of the and writing. Then Nolan does the. Because. Nolan, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other Nolan. 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 Yeah, because, because his name comes first and it's not an alphabetical thing. Are they both credited for directing or is it just Christopher it's Nolan? Just Christopher That's Nolan. why it would make sense not to have Christopher not Nolan. Not to take the. As the prime writer. Yeah. Especially if he's not. But even if, if he if, is. If he were the primary writer, it would say written and directed by Christopher Nolan yeah. at the end of the film. And then it would say like story editing by Jonathan Nolan. So one thing we noticed in this movie was that Christopher Nolan has a problem in his films where he gravitates toward people on their deathbeds. Or not necessarily their deathbeds. People on hospital beds. There were two hospital bed scenes in this movie. Were there? Yeah, the one at the end, too. True. Oh, people in hospital beds not speaking clearly enough yeah. for it to be yeah. intelligible. So that, Also, we, no one just kind of has a problem with intelligible speech overall, yeah. like the, you know, Bane. I heard that the preview was just unintelligible. <laughs> like, 
kind of wish I could hear that. I bet it's online. I bet you can find it online. I anyway. I find it online now. Uh, <laughs> if it yeah. is, I'll post a link to the YouTube video. Yeah, there you go. Um, if not, I will cut out that previous so, comment. <laughs> so he has this thing where people are always on hospital beds. So that includes Dark Knight where... Uh, Harvey Dent. I mean, Harvey Dent is... You can understand but what he's saying. But he wasn't saying. dying. Right, but he's still on a the hospital bed. The rest of them are dying. Talking and he's quiet. Yeah, the mumbling whisper, was still there. Whisper yeah. mumbling. And then it's way worse on Dark Knight Rises when oh, Gordon yeah. is in the bed. And because I remember seeing the trailer and I couldn't understand a word. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't understand yeah. a word, Zach. Yep. I, I was just like, what is this even? I thought it was a fake trailer. It's an in inception. Oh, when yeah. When Killian Murphy is talking to his dad. In the safe. Yeah, and his dad, and you can't understand what he's saying. And then in this movie, that comment makes no sense if you haven't seen Inception. <laughs> <laughs> Why they're in a safe? It was more yeah. of a vault than a safe. It was a big vault. Yeah, <laughs> you don't really call it a safe, but you could. Then walk it exploded. In. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then, in this movie, it happened when Alfred was dying. Oh, it also happened. Um, whose real name is Michael Caine? <laughs> yeah, it happens again at the end of the movie with the old version of the girl. In the deathbed, surrounded by loved ones and her young dad. So the movie opens with this tracking shot of a bookshelf with a bunch of books on it and the dust falling on the bookshelf and it said Interstellar. And I was thinking, you know what? I bet Grapes of Wrath is on that shelf. I bet it is. I didn't see it, but I bet it was up there. You know what was sick was the teaser for this movie. Oh put, yeah, put a link to the teaser because the teaser for Interstellar was amazing. I remember seeing it in high school and being like... This movie's gonna. I saw it. It's gonna be something big. It's the Nolan type of trailer where you see it and you're Wah. like, "That's really." Oh yeah, that. But it's also you think that's really cool, but I have no idea what this movie is about. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Inception. Wasn't there the Everything trailer where, on Inception? The trailer where he's just like coming out of the bathtub, and you're like, "What is this?" But it looks cool. No, he was falling into the bathtub. Or was he? Was no, he was coming out. Yeah, it, yeah. The ground is folding on itself. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's floating around the room. It takes a lot of the interesting scenes completely out of context. So much out of context that you have no idea what's going <laughs> on. It cannot be conceived. You can just see it and think, that's cool. But I have no idea what that is. Yeah. So this movie isn't really, it's not really the kind of movie that would benefit from us going through scene by scene like we usually do and picking it apart or making fun of it. This movie is just good overall, and you should see it. Yeah, we don't want to ruin the movie by going through and narrating all the events Unlike of the Fantastic movie. Four or, uh, what was that first one we watched? Die Another Day, where yeah. it's completely fine to tear it apart scene by scene because there's no reason to watch it. Really. We don't recommend watching those movies. We recommend watching this one. And we didn't do this in Sahara either. So this is kind of the trend with movies that we watch that are generally good. Yeah. So this one's pretty good. What would actually be more beneficial to talk about is just a couple interesting things, starting with The Blight. Overall, this movie is incredibly scientifically accurate. Like to a fault. It's impressive the amount of work that they went through to make this movie scientifically accurate. Which speaks to how careful of a filmmaker Nolan is. Oh yeah, they put so much effort into it that the scientific advisor wrote a book about the science of this called The Science of Interstellar. Wow. And in fact... Nolan's rule, or the scientific advisor's rule, I think his name is Kip Thorne. (laughs) His rule was that if he was to be the advisor, he wouldn't allow anything that wasn't scientifically plausible to be in the movie. And apparently he took like a week to try to convince Nolan to not have time travel in the movie, to not have characters traveling back in time. Oh, so they were going to? Nolan wanted to have time travel. He didn't want there to be time travel because time travel in the form of going back in time is not really feasible. 
Although in this movie, maybe because of the one assumption that this movie takes. A lot of sci-fi has a thing where they build sci-fi around a single assumption and then they build all of the science around that. In Mass Effect, it's the element X, which allows you to control gravity. And mm. in this movie, they have the same assumption. So now yeah. the blight. <laughs> <laughs> so the setup for this movie is that the Earth is dying and it's dying in the fact that people on Earth are dying, not the Earth itself, really. We didn't run out of engineers. We ran out of farmers. We didn't run out of planes and television screens. We ran out of food. Is that what he says? Yeah. Wow. It says okay. television screens. <laughs> Interesting. It's not like they focus on it much. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of the setting is that all the crops are dying one by one. Because of this plague. That is going through and destroying all of our food crops in a row. Which they call blight. Which, which feeds blight. off the nitrogen in the atmosphere. And our crops. The atmosphere on Earth is almost 80% nitrogen. They survive pretty well. Michael Caine points out that the last people to starve, the people who don't starve, will be the first to suffocate. So pretty much Earth is uninhabitable within the next generation in this film. Yeah. And the only issue I have with that is just the speed at which the blight took over. Right. Faster than zombies. Well, yeah. <laughs> Faster than most diseases I would think would be able to. And you, you'd think that there would be other ways of quarantining that blight, of protecting against it. Also, you can sort of assume that this film takes place in around 2060 because the grandfather in the film talks about a time when there were 6 billion people on Earth and kind of summarizes the American dream. That would be like people mine and Zach's age would be his age when this movie is taking place. And he's, I'd say, about 65, maybe 70. Yeah. Which would mean that it's in about 2060. Which can explain other elements in the movie, like the advances in robotics and in small craft propulsion. And like how Matthew McConaughey drives a Dodge truck from 2014. Oh, uh, you know, people drive old cars. <laughs> There's a big point about his Dodge truck. It was the only product placement <laughs> in the whole movie was this no, Dodge truck. No, Was there more? Yes, the Carhartt jacket. It was huge. Oh, Right. The Carhartt jacket was in every scene that McConaughey was in on Earth. Okay. Every yeah, scene yeah. that Jessica Chastain was in on Earth. So now that we've talked about the blight, let's move on to the big reveal of this film, which I remember in the theater, everyone, because I went and saw it with a bunch of other film students, right? Mm -hmm. And in the theater, we all just started laughing because this was so <laughs> absurd that no one knew that Matthew Damon was going to be in this film. Matthew Damon. <laughs> 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 You know, he's from Boston. He went to Harvard. Oh, really? He might not be from Boston, but he's like, obviously. He lived in Boston yeah. for a while. He, well, he went to Harvard. Yeah. Goodwill Hunting takes place in Boston. He wrote that. Surprisingly, Matt Damon shows up in this movie. Oh, have you seen Cabin in the Woods? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar effect. Or like uh, Tusk with Johnny Depp. They totally misused Johnny Depp. That was so cool that he was in it, but it lost its comedy so fast. They are making a... Are they making Tusk too? No, I, well, they, might, they probably <laughs> Go are. But me. there's another movie <laughs> being made by, what's his name? Uh, Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah? Keep confusing with Kevin James. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of the same guy. Yeah. Uh, there's another movie they're making where he's, I think, the main character. It's the one with yoga in the title. It's like yoga. Oh, pants. yoga hosers. Yoga yeah. hosers, yeah. I feel... I, I think Johnny Depp's the main character of that one, or I've, one of the main characters. The what? other characters are the girls from the convenience store. Oh, his daughter and then another girl? I think, yeah. That's Kevin Smith's daughter, Harley oh, really? Quinn. Her name's Harley Quinn. Really? Is Quinn her middle name, I guess? Or is it like hyphenated? I'm not sure. 
Kevin Smith, I listen to some of his podcasts and I feel really invalidated by him because <laughs> he said something like film school is a waste of money because when I was learning how to... But it's funny because he went to film school in Canada. Anyway, mm -hmm. <laughs> he said NYU when I was like at the time when I could be going to school was like $50,000 for me to get my degree. And you might as well just take 50000 and go make a movie and then have that be your education. But it's so different now because you don't need $50,000 to go make a movie. Like yeah. I could, theoretically, I could go make a movie with the Sony camera I have. Might want to do found footage style, but... Well, yeah, I would have to be. <laughs> it could be documentary style yeah, or yeah. something. That reminds me of a similar situation with me where a guy I follow on YouTube... Mm -hmm. who was a hermit kind of living out in Vermont but posting YouTube videos. Oh, yeah? Who was in the process of building a giant spider robot that you could ride. Oh, like on Wild Wild West? Sort of like that, except smaller. <laughs> just enough to like hold one person. <laughs> um, he also designed a toy off that spider robot that's a remote control spider robot that's really cool. And he sold it and that's where he gets his money. Didn't you tell me that Will Smith turned down Neo he did. To be in Wild Wild West. He did. Do you have any proof of that? Could you link up the proof of that? I won't include that. But yeah, he turned down the main character of The Matrix. It was a bad move. So, I mean, his career's been fine. So anyway, this guy was building a spider robot in Vermont. He eventually built it, right? Partially with money gained from, from his, his, the his sales toys. of his toy spider robots. And he lived in this big geodesic dome. It's very stable. Buckminster Fuller is famous for designing these. Okay. Hit the second floor of that was a trampoline, and he'd post videos of him just building stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the videos I eventually saw of him that I saw a long time ago was him taking out his degree and burning it. So he's like, I don't need this anymore. And then he, he said uh, he didn't like going there anyway. And I came back and looked at that recently. And turned out it was his Brown University degree. <laughs> I like this guy, but he's burning the degree of my university that I'm currently... Attended. <laughs> so anyway, back to Matt Damon. Anyway, yeah. Matt Damon shows up in this movie and it's almost a jump scare when it happens. It was cool, but it was like, oh, they really kept this secret. He ends up being the bad guy, which Zach said was surprising for a couple reasons. Matt Damon was surprising because he's the first real direct human antagonist in the movie. And also it's just kind of a sudden twist. But the main reason for me that it was surprising is because Matt Damon is never a villain. Right. When That's, is he the villain? This is, might be his first villain role. That's why it was cool. You see him and you're like, whoa, Matt Damon's in this movie. Good guy's here. <laughs> I guess he's going to help out. Also, it was weird because he was like the head of the Lazarus Project, which oh, yeah. went out. So he was considerably the most trustworthy. He should have been the most trustworthy. Yeah. It's lucky that I've read the book The Martian because otherwise I'd worry about Matt Damon in the movie <laughs> The Martian, which is upcoming. The final and pretty cool, pretty much the most interesting part of the movie the last part about the movie that we're going to talk about, and it's also the why is it... Well, it's not really why isn't this a thing this episode, regrettably. It's just this is an interesting science thing. Listen up, kids. Okay. That's the new name. <laughs> so... Gather around, We're, we're going to talk about time dilation. Yeah. Do you want to talk about wormholes, too? No. No? Wormholes no are cool. no proof of that. Of them existing? Yes. Theoretically, they can exist. That's not proof, Zach. Theoretically, they can exist, and we can keep a wormhole open if we can control gravity. So we need to find exotic matter, which is matter that repels gravity, which is the way the equation works. It's to keep one open. For them to exist, it's fine, but to keep one open long enough, not like for a split second. Also, if we could figure that science out, we could sell it as a weight loss pill. 
Yeah. We can make the big bucks. Maybe. So time dilation. What happens in the movie is they go down to this planet, Matthew McConaughey and Wes Bentley and Anne Hathaway, mm-hmm. actors. Their characters in the film go down to this planet, which is orbiting a black hole. Yes. Zach tells me, and the film tells you, since the black hole is so massive. Literally called a supermassive black hole. Which is a song by Muse. Okay. Which was on the first Twilight movie. Fun fact of it. So I have not seen that movie. I'm surprised we've you talked seen about that movie. Twilight twice now. You've seen that movie, really? Yeah, I've seen it. I saw it in theaters. I was young once. <laughs> <laughs> so the supermassive black hole has an enormous gravitational pull. Mm-hmm. So when they go down to this planet, which is just flat and then like a foot of water, and then enormous waves all the time. Yeah. When they go down to this planet, time is much slower for them because they're close to gravity because apparently gravity affects time and it's confusing, but we're going to get into it. So so they go down to this planet and they're there for approximately an hour. According to to them. To to them. them So Matthew McConaughey feels like he's been on this planet for an hour. They come back to the ship where, oh, I forget his name. There's another guy on the ship and they come back And his hair, which used to be black, has turned gray. And he's standing there in a bathrobe and like jammies. And and Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey get back and they're like, how long has it been? He's like, 20 years. It was like 24 years. Yeah, it was like 24 years. Or, you know, the computer says the exact, like down to the hour or something. Matthew McConaughey's like, my kids are old. My kids are as old as I am. Yikes. So this is crazy because that means on Earth, 24 years passed in what felt like one hour on this planet. And it, Zach and actually, tells me this is legit. And actually, I don't know if they were measuring Earth years or because they were close to the black hole, it might have been a little bit longer on Earth too uh, because it's all relative. Oh, so it might have been 24 even years the for the orbiting ship, which was still orbiting the black hole. So that would have had some time So the gravitational time pole was still affecting on. its time. Yeah. Wow. But apparently Probably. time dilation is... Real. Well, it's real and Zach says it's exponential. Yeah, well, gravity is exponential. So the denser an object is... The mass. It's not density necessarily. It's the mass of an object. What's what's that? What's the difference there? Density is how much mass in that volume. In a space, Is right. the mass per volume, but it's just the overall mass. You could have a pebble that's denser than a boulder, but the boulder has more mass overall, so it would have more... So size also has to do with it. So it's size and density. It's mass total, and... Mass is based on volume and density. Yeah. Okay. As something gains mass, its gravitational pull goes up exponentially. The closer you are to it, its gravitational pull goes up exponentially. But the actual pull based on the mass, I think it might just be linear. Okay. But distance, the gravitational pull based on your distance from an object is exponentially. Which is why just in low Earth orbit, Leo... There is microgravity, whereas on Earth, there's regular gravity. Okay. Uh, well, microgravity is a term referring to people orbiting Earth, and it's the false zero gravity that they experience because they're orbiting. And because so there is falling. still some gravity exerted upon them. Yeah, like the International Space Station is moving, and it's essentially falling in a circle. So they're up high enough when they're moving tangential to the Earth at a fast enough speed that the speed at which they fall just keeps them the same distance from the Earth right, all the time. orbiting. And because they're falling, you get the kind of no gravity effect of falling toward the Earth, but they're falling in a circle, so it seems like it's no gravity all the time. 
<laughs> so we call that microgravity. So a lot of the stuff that I sound like I know, I only recently learned, <laughs> such as what Leo is. I only recently learned this because of the MISC topic, which I keep alluding to. I promise we'll get there. So anyway, this time dilation Zach says is totally legit. Oh, yeah. Which freaks me out. I ask, how do we know, Zach? We've never gone to a place such as this a planet, planet a that is hole. orbiting a supermassive black hole. Yeah. So explain it, mister. In general, time dilation is the effect that the higher the gravitational pull on an object, the slower time moves for that object relative to a place with lower gravitational pull. If you're confused already, same. So that means that if you have a clock next to a black hole and you have a clock very far from the black hole, according to the one very far away, the one next to the black hole will be running very slow. And the closer it is, the slower it will run. But if you were next to the clock near the black hole, it would seem like time was moving at a regular speed. And it would seem like the one that's way above you, really far away, is moving really fast. And I asked Zach, how do we know this? My favorite example of this being present. There are several examples of this being true. My favorite one is GPS satellites. So GPS works by your device receiving a signal from a GPS satellite where that satellite tells you what time it is according to that satellite. And with that, you can calculate how long it took the signal to get to it and therefore how far away the satellite is. So if you know how far away four of them are from you. You know where you are. You know where you are. It's, it, it's not just... It's not triangulation. Triangulation works on uh, two dimensions, right? Because it's mm -hmm. three circles intersecting. Mm -hmm. If you have four, you can have the equivalent in three dimensions. Right, but doesn't our GPS have so many satellites that at any given point, nine can see you? The more... And th sometimes 12. Yeah, so that makes it easier to connect with them because you can just, there are plenty available. Plus, the more that you have, the more refined your location will be. Oh, so that's good. But at a minimum, you need four. So this time measurement has to be really precise, and it relies on the time measured by your clock on the ground and by the clock in the satellite. This is an example where this shows up, this problem shows up, because the satellite is much further from Earth's gravity than you are. Right. It's, than the it, clock that you're looking at. Than the clock you're looking at. The clock on the satellite is not being affected by the Earth's gravity as much as the clock in your GPS is, as much as you are. Which means that relative to you, the clocks in the satellites run fast. Very slightly fast. Only a tiny bit fast. That's so weird. But they run fast. So that's how we know. We can tell because if you didn't correct for this, which we have to correct for it, if you didn't correct for it, then your measurements of your location would slowly become more and more inaccurate. Because the time is off? Because time is running at different speeds. These two clocks are running at different rates. So there is no other. such thing as, as universal or even solar systemic time. There's no standard time. The only standard it's time just we relative. have is Earth time because we live wow. here. And technically, time is running different, say, on top of a mountain than it is at sea level. But it's such a minuscule difference that it doesn't really matter. This is crazy. We even measure this. The other way that we measured this was uh, an early example of this was we took atomic clocks, which can measure time really accurately, and put them on planes and had the planes fly around the world, like commercial airliners. Mm. Had one fly around one way and one fly around the other way. And then had one stationary. We brought the three clocks back together and noticed that all of them had different time measurements. The other thing that affects time is actually speed. So velocity affects time. 
but it's in a different way. <laughs> so that was involved in this, why the three were different and why the, the two that went around the world, because one went around the world, the direction it's spinning. Oh, the okay. other direction. It's complicated. That is complicated. But Zach and I thought the implications of this were interesting because the point of the movie is get everyone off Earth. We need to colonize somewhere else. So mm-hmm. if they were to colonize one of these places where time is super slow relative to Earth's time, that could perhaps allow Earth enough time to regenerate its atmosphere yeah. back to you know normal conditions. Wait for the blight to die off or whatever this problem is. Right. And then we could just go back to Earth. Yeah. Which would be ideal. So what you can do with this gravitational time. what I understand. I am told Earth is good. Sorry. (laughs) With this gravitational time dilation, it does allow you forward time travel relative to somewhere else. Which is cool. So there's the classic idea that. If you're on a train going around the Earth at light speed, because time moves slower when you're going close to the speed of light. Yeah. Uh, That one's more complicated and not as easy to understand. Let's not get into that. That's, That's a. There's That's the whole twin paradox day. and all this, this stuff. We can't go at the speed of light anyway in space. We can right? go, n- well, we, we can can't get a ship theoretically near. What's the fastest we've got a ship moving? I, I imagine it's much faster in space than Oh, it, it's incredibly fast, but it's nowhere near the speed of light. It's probably Voyager 1. Um, oh, which is out there right now with the Yeah, with it's the, the furthest the thing disc. from, <laughs> it's a record, <laughs> but record. yeah. It's the thing that's furthest from Earth that we have made. How many object. miles per hour is that going right now? I don't know. It's probably miles per second. Jeez. More like. That's the one that slingshot off of Jupiter's gravity, so that made it accelerate even more. Yeah. And it's going really fast, miles per second. So how does it get back out of Jupiter's gravity? Does it just push off with more jets? or? No, no. If you Not jet. The gravitational pull of a massive object mm-hmm. right, will turn you and accelerate you toward it. But if you're already moving... You'll kind of curve around it and you can come off in a different direction. Right. And so when they slingshot off of stuff, because it accelerates you as you curve around it, you can angle it in such a way that you go around the object and then come out in a different direction much faster. Right. And we can calculate this really specifically to get the angle that we want and the acceleration that we want because we fully understand the mathematics behind this. Well, I think that we've covered time dilation. Time dilation is cool. Yeah. Yeah, which is really cool because I never heard about it. It's not really touched on in any movies. Or in most (laughs) physics classes up until you get to like college or upper level high school classes because we teach physics that was discovered in like the 1500s and then stopped there. (laughs) True. So now let's talk about colonizing Mars. Okay. So there's this article on Wait But Why, which is this really interesting online journal type website it's uh, written by tim urban who lives in boston conveniently he's it done convenient he's done a couple of things about oh, i sure would like to meet him you know him and randall monroe that'd be really cool if i could get them together <laughs> uh randall, <laughs> monroe, that. randall yeah. monroe is the xkcd guy mm-hmm. wait but why is this online <laughs> it's this online website that, wow. <laughs> that releases articles and He's been doing this thing recently about like a lot of Elon Musk's companies. They did a Tesla one. He's done a Fermi's Paradox one, mm. which or it's just called the Fermi Paradox. That one was extremely interesting. He, What's Fermi great Paradox about Wait But Why, and you should read these. We'll have links below. What is awesome about Wait But Why is I didn't take physics in high school. And I I'm, did. I'm not really gifted in that way. I'm not prone to understanding these things just quickly. I want to point out, though, physics is hard. Right. For nearly everyone. Most people that think that they don't understand physics 
and that it's just an inherent problem with not understanding physics with enough effort could learn it. Right. This is the same with mathematics too. It's just, it's just hard. It just takes effort. It's complicated. These concepts are really hard to wrap your head around. This guy, Tim Urban, strikes me as a very similar kind of person who, like me, can understand things if he reads about them, but sort of has a harder time with physics. So what he does is he takes these concepts and he reads just ample amounts of research about them until he fully understands them. And then he explains it to you kind of like you're five. Anyone that fully understands a topic can explain it in simple terms. Who said that? Einstein said that. It was Einstein, yeah. yeah. It might have been one of those fake quotes that's attributed to Einstein. <laughs> but either way, it's a good quote. It's a good quote that uh, you don't fully understand something until you can explain it simply. But he doesn't condescend and make you feel like a five-year-old because you need to explain like this. Mm. You feel an order of magnitude smarter after reading each one. The Tesla one's really cool because he talks about like the history of the auto industry and how electric cars have been feasible since the beginning. Ford just figured out how to make cars that were running on gasoline earlier then the electric car was perfected. So we stopped with electric cars because there was no economic incentive. And we haven't started until Tesla. Gasoline is a very good battery. The energy it's density, just a bunch of stored carbon. The energy density of gasoline is incredibly high. We still might not have batteries anywhere close to that energy density you get with gasoline. Plus, it was really cheap and abundant. And everyone thought, we have this forever. Let's just burn it all. There's no negative consequences. They didn't count on the population exponentially growing. Which yeah. is obvious because if your offspring creates at least as many offspring as you have created, then it's exponential. Yeah. It was like the most <laughs> but, but it was like the most predictable problem of all time. But also think about how abstract of a concept it would be to try to explain global warming to someone. True. Well, I'm sure they didn't think of it. It's like their biggest problem environmentally is like the buffalo dying out. <laughs> trying to explain to them that like polar bears were in trouble. So wait, but why did this article about SpaceX and colonizing Mars? And it talks all about, and I just, I encourage that you read this article. It's quite long. It's five parts and it's like 40,000 words, which is 10 times as long. I don't know if I can read that many It's words. more than 10 times as long as mine and Zach's extended essays were. And, <laughs> which were undertakings to write. Remember how we had to present our senior project, right? Mm -hmm. When I presented that extended essay, they gave me full points on everything, except I got zero points on the fancy dressing. Dude. I didn't dress up. <laughs> it was my view that having dressing up as a requirement, criteria. as a criteria for whether or not you get to pass high school was <laughs> absurd. So I refused to dress up and I got zero points on that part. Well, anyway, so I'm not going to spoil this article but it's really good, and it goes into how Elon Musk's ultimate goal, well, first of all, his primary goal is get the NASA budget to be bigger so that we can buy life insurance, oh, yeah. because it's likely that we will destroy ourselves on Earth at some point. That That is kind of well, probable. In, it's possible. Right, and this article goes into it's it. It's not as probable as it was during the Cold War. Exactly, but who's to say that another Cold War isn't? There are several people Living. who you can say are directly responsible for preventing nuclear war by accident. Right, yeah. Yeah, there's this like submarine commander. There was also a Soviet guy who saw a bunch of missiles on the radar coming and he waited for secondary confirmation when of the missiles. When he didn't need to. When he didn't need to and it was, wasn't really policy too, but he didn't trust the new system that detected them. Mm -hmm. And the secondary confirmation confirmed that they weren't real and that it was a glitch in the system. So he did not launch the missiles. But he could have. But he could have. 
And that would have been it. Yeah, that happened a couple times, actually. Yeah. So there was also a time when Norway launched a rocket and didn't tell like the Soviets about it. And the Soviets thought it was the U.S. launching a rocket at them and they almost fired again then. Uh, there was another time when, when the U.S. almost nuked ourselves because we- Well, we did that plenty of times. No, we almost nuked rural Virginia um, because we accidentally dropped a bomb in Virginia that was partially activated. Out of like the three steps to activate the bomb, two of them were triggered. I think it blew up, but only the detonator for it blew up. Anyway, the idea is that Earth could end accidentally, especially Tim Urban explores, you know, once we reach super intelligent AI, that could happen quickly. So we want to buy life insurance, which would be... Uh, a backup. Which would be, exactly. And he makes really awesome analogies of this, of a like computer drive that fails every two months because like in Earth's history, essentially, yeah, yeah, almost everything is wiped out every like however many million years in this there's a pattern of mass extinctions right so if we put a million people on mars that could be a self-sustaining society that means no relying on earth really except for like internet entertainment probably just (laughs) copy the internet yeah well i'm sure it would be the same internet yeah Yeah. but there would be some lag because it would take minutes to get back to earth really i bet they'd i bet they'd make it no, work somehow. No, you'd have to have secondary servers for everything on Mars. Right, yeah, of course. Uh, but if you were to communicate directly with Earth, it's... I'm not going to spoil the article, but the MISC section today is essentially, read this article, it explains why SpaceX and Elon Musk are cool, and more importantly, why we should be on board with a Mars mission and putting a million people on Mars. And oh. pretty much the fundamental problem is reusability of rockets and expense. Mars is 22 minutes away. What Mars is further than the, the much further sun? than the moon than the sun? Yeah, I think so. That's the weird thing, and they talk about this in the article about how big the solar system is and oh, how it's, it's huge. never represented accurately. You could in fit textbooks. You could fit all of the planets between Earth and the Moon. Really, I believe like so. Size wise, yeah. You could if fit they were them, touching. You could line them up between the Earth and the Moon. Yeah, Those there's a bunch size. of space out there. A funny kind of creative way that's maybe a little ironic of how to improve the conditions of Mars is we need to build up the atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Which is we something we're really it. good at. Because <laughs> we just need to fill the atmosphere with carbon dioxide. Except a standard engine right now wouldn't run because it needs oxygen. Yeah. But if we can build some sort of plant that, like, produces carbon dioxide from the ground. So anyway, we should make backups of humanity. And a good place is Mars because it's really yeah, the only they, place. They talk about Mercury and Venus. Uh, there's a really good picture of Venus because we have pictures of the surface of Venus, believe it or not. I know. When which I found this out, I was really surprised because Americans don't care about this because it was the Soviets. It was Russia, yeah. Russia took these pictures. They say multiple That's landers. Right. I think only one that took two pictures. Uh, no, there were two that landed, at least. Oh, really? That sent information back. Maybe one of them didn't take a picture. But yeah, we have like two pictures of the surface of Venus. And the color pictures from the 80s. Yeah. Like Not greenish. that we didn't have color back then. It's like yellow and then the ground is just rock. It looks like yeah. such an alien world. So it's cool that sci-fi like gets it reasonably correct. Yeah. But it just, oh, it looks... Apparently, really hot there. Apparently That's, Elon Musk described it as a hellhole. The surface of that planet is the hottest of all the planets. Because the atmosphere is so thick. Apparently trying to move your arm on Venus is like trying to move your arm through water. Yeah. It's so Except thick. Except the water is acid. Appa- <laughs> Apparently upper 
atmosphere dwelling on Mer- on Venus is the only yeah. reasonable thing. There's some cool ideas for that, which is like strange. balloon Yeah, housing. like a floating, like Columbia. Like Columbia um, from Bioshock <laughs> Infinite. Having a floating city would be a possibility on Venus. But on Mars, there's more potential for Or like a moon-type colony. Also, yeah. the funny thing is there's really no practical reason to have moon colonies. A moon base is useful as a launching point. Is it? Yeah. Is it so useful? Because there's less atmosphere. We can get fuel up there. It'd be much easier to get the water from asteroids and I think maybe from the moon and use that as fuel because you can separate it out with electricity. You can separate out the hydrogen and the oxygen, right? And then burn them. And Elon Musk is actually involved in the project to mine asteroids for water. I'm sure. Yeah. The big problem with all this is that NASA has... Very little budget. 12.5% the budget that it had in the 70s. Yeah. Of like the national budget. So in the 70s, it had this whomping 4% national budget because we were essentially trying to prove that capitalism was better than communism. And the only way to prove that was to get to the moon first. Or blow up the moon. That's the way that a lot of science is right now. It's funny. And there's an XKCD about this where they go through the fundamental forces of the universe. Yeah. Which are electromagnetism, the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force. And gravity. And the comment was, guess which one we understand the least about? Gravity. Gravity. Tricky. That's what this movie was about, too. That's why the science in this movie is plausible, because gravity is just so poorly understood. We know how to work with it, but we're not really sure what it is. Right. So that's what this movie was about. Oh, yeah, that was a good tie-in to finish it off. Yeah. I guess thanks for hanging out this season and listening. It's been fun watching these movies and talking about stuff. This has been what we think will probably be the final episode of the first season of Tallcast. Assuming that there will be further episodes and further seasons. I'll have you know I am right now wearing a Tallcast shirt. Which so that's was, commitment. Which was a gift. It looks pretty cool. I really like it. Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of funny to wear this Tallcast shirt, which is something that like probably... 20 people in the world know about right now. Maybe fewer. Once again, if you don't know us, email contact at tallcast.org and tell us. Probably never going to get an email. Some good movies to look out for this fall because we probably won't be back till next summer. There might be, oh, I don't want to promise anything, but there may be like a special bonus episode during the winter or something. When we have free time, we might decide to make another episode. Might get together over on the East Coast and uh, make an episode, but unlikely. So don't count on it. Some good movies to look out for. Black Mass, Spectre. Oh, yeah. Maybe The Martian. The Martian, Martian, probably. If you liked Interstellar or MacGyver, (laughs) you would probably like The Martian. All right. Well, with that, thank you for listening. This has been Tallcast. Tallcast is a seasonal project recorded summers in Yakima, Washington, in Fort Base Studio with Tom and Zach.